Welcome to our Bon Bon podcast series, with Matt and Joanna. We provide critical information that affects your everyday life. Please be advised that the following program is for entertainment purposes only. Matthew, why don't you give the audience an outline of what the podcast series is all about? That sounds like a good idea. This is the introduction of our podcast series on China. The podcasts are based on a collection of three books written and published by Aban Ban LLC. The first book is China: Good, Bad, and Ugly. It reveals historical and current events that the world must know about China. Within five decades, China has successfully transformed a struggling economy. During the period under Mao Zedong, to a capitalist-inspired economic superpower, China has become the world leader in organ transplants, toxic food supply, and polluted air. The second book is China: Hidden Poisons. It documents more than 20 years of tainted food and unsafe consumer products from China flooding American stores. It highlights how the U.S. government has failed to protect American consumers, putting their health at risk. And the third one is China: Death, Food. It gives you a detailed perspective on foods imported from China. The book highlights hidden poisons affecting the safety of food supply, vitamins and supplements, and medications sourced from China. Please keep in mind that our podcasts do not necessarily follow the order of these books. However, each individual podcast icon will list the name of the book and the podcast descriptions. If you continue listening to our podcasts, you will learn about many important topics that we just mentioned from these books. These are must-read books to minimize the potentially harmful effects of unsafe food products, and for useful knowledge and interesting conversation at. Cocktail parties. Matthew, you must go to a lot of cocktail parties. Ha ha! You are funny. Just happy hours. Today, we will talk about how Deng Xiaoping successfully reformed China. What is Made in China 2025 plan is all about. Why did China lose Hong Kong and Macau to the British and the Portuguese? And who enabled China to join the World Trade Organization that has caused damage to the United States economy and the American people? You will discover later in the podcast why at least 45 million of Chinese population died under Mao Zedong, and what the United States has done to protect Taiwan. But first, Joanna. Why don't you give the audience a brief history of China? I think it is very interesting. No problem, Mister. Happy hours. In order to understand the current situation in China, let us examine China's history. China is a totalitarian regime. In case you wonder what a totalitarianism is, it is a concept for a form of government. Or political system that prohibits opposition parties, restricts individual opposition to the state, and exercises an extremely high degree of control over public and private life.
There is a huge income disparity between the coastal regions and inland cities. China's coastal provinces are relatively wealthy, and the country gradually becomes poorer toward inland. Let's go back to history. The Qing Dynasty, founded by the invading Manchu, ruled China from 1644 to 1912. In the 16th century, the Chinese economy was the most sophisticated and productive in the world. During this period, the Chinese had a high standard of living. China was cultural and prosperous with abundant natural resources. The Chinese royal house was prestigious. China has held the dominant place in the world, both politically and economically until the mid-1800s. After this point, the ruling monarchy became weak and ultimately collapsed. The central government steadily ceded power to warlords and foreign nations. In 1850, China stopped being the world's largest economy, when Britain took the economic lead. Empress Dowager Cixi of China was recruited at the age of 17 to be one of the concubines of Shenfeng Emperor. She was the only one of his wives and concubines to give him a son. When the emperor died in 1861, at the age of 30, the little boy, Emperor Guangxu, succeeded his father at the age of six. His mother became Empress Dowager Cixi and was co-regent. She made herself the effective ruler of the country for almost 50 years until her death in 1908 at the age of 73. In 1908, 22 hours before his mother passed away, Emperor Guangxu died from a single, high dose of arsenic poisoning. This fact was revealed by forensic tests of the emperor's remains in 2008. Since he had no son, his two-year-old nephew, Bui, was chosen to be China's last emperor. In February 1912, Empress Dowager Longyu, the spouse of the late Emperor Guangxu, negotiated and signed the abdication decree of Emperor Pui, ending 2,000 years of imperial rule in China. China officially declared the establishment of the Republic of China and was organized by the nationalists. In fact, the country is divided into two territories. The Republic of China, which is Taiwan, and the People's Republic of China, known as Communist China. Until today, we still do not know who poisoned the emperor. There are many speculations. One theory says that, the late emperor was working on a reform plan against his mother's direction. Therefore, she put him under house arrest for almost a decade. Whoever killed him, did not want him to continue the reform. Let's talk more about Taiwan as well. It is quite an interesting topic, especially for your cocktail parties, or happy hours. Taiwan, the Republic of China in 1946, a civil war started between the communists and the nationalists lasted for three years. In 1949, the communist armies under Mao Zedong defeated the nationalist troops led by General Xiang Kai-shek. Xiang and his nationalist, Kuomintang government retreated to Taiwan.
where they set up a new government, known as the Republic of China, and declared martial law. The Kuomintang developed Taiwan into a dictatorship. Between 1949 and 1987, the martial law convicted and executed thousands of democracy activists. After the lifting of martial law in 1987, multi-party politics were accepted. For 22 years, Taiwan had held a seat on the United Nations Security Council, and many Western nations has recognized Taiwan as the only Chinese government. The nationalists dominated Taiwan's politics until 2000 election, when Chen Shui-bian, the first Democratic Progressive Party member won the presidential election. The political status of Taiwan remains uncertain. In 2020, Taiwan was officially recognized as a standalone country by 15 nations. Taiwan is no longer a member of the United Nations and was replaced by the People's Republic of China in 1971. In 1979, after President Carter ended diplomatic recognition of Taiwan in order to grow a relationship with China, the U.S. Congress passed the Taiwan Relations Act. The act promises to supply Taiwan with defensive weapons and to commit to the preservation of human rights of the Taiwanese. China sees Taiwan as a breakaway province that will eventually be part of the country again. However, Taiwan refuses to reunite with China. In 2015, China passed the anti-secession law, stating that China can use military force if Taiwan declares independence. The United States and Taiwan have built a strong economic partnership. Taiwan is the 11th largest trading partner of the United States, and a key destination for United States agricultural exports. In 2019, the United States agreed to sell new F-16 fighter jets, worth $8 billion to Taiwan. The largest and most significant sale of weaponry to Taiwan in decades. Furthermore, in 2020, U.S. Congress passed the Taiwan Allies International Protection and Enhancement Initiative Act. The act confirms that the United States will support the close economic, political, and security relationship with Taiwan. The United States will help Taiwan build a strong military force to defend against the People's Republic of China. The United States will advocate for Taiwan's membership in all international organizations in which statehood is not a requirement and the United States is a participant. Wow, $8 billion worth of fighter jets. I hope Taiwan will never have to use them. For those of you who wonder who ended the martial law in Taiwan, it was lifted by a presidential order by President Xiang Qingquo on July 15, 1987. He is the eldest and only biological son of former President and General Chiang Kai-shek, who lost the war to Mao Zedong and retreated to Taiwan. Joanna, let's talk about the People's Republic of China. The People's Republic of China under Mao 
1949, Mao Zedong became the leader of the Communist Party, ruling mainland China, which became the People's Republic of China. In the late Mao period, agricultural land remained in public hands, under collective management. State-owned enterprises and collective farms were the business models at the time. From 1952 to 1957, the Soviet helped build factories and provided financial aids and technical expertise to China. Steel and energy were given the greatest priority. Coal production has increased and contributed to serious environmental degradation, costing billions of dollars and many generations to clean up. Mao's objectives was to acquire foreign technology for the purpose of China being independent in the future. During this same period, industrial and agriculture sectors were disorganized. The state control system prevented China from making progress. However, literacy and healthcare improved. And China had minimum foreign debt compared to many developing countries. In 1958, Mao launched the Great Leap Forward, a five-year economic plan, which introduced collective farming and labor-intensive industry. The new plan produced economic breakdown and disrupted agriculture production. Combined with bad weather, it caused the Great Chinese Famine, and the death of 20 to 30 millions of people. Mao Zedong died from heart disease on September 9, 1976, at the age of 82. Let me go back to the Chinese Great Famine caused by Mao's Great Leap Forward. Some historians said, instead of 20 to 30 million deaths as many people have believed, the number was at least 45 million during that period. Matthew will tell you more in details, next. About the Great Leap Forward In 2016, The Washington Post published the following. Historian Frank D. Cutter, author of the important book Mao's Great Famine, recently published an article in History Today, summarizing what happened. The number of victims may have been even greater than previously thought, and that the mass murder was more clearly intentional on Mao's part and included large numbers of victims who were executed or tortured, as opposed to merely starved to death. What comes out of this massive and detailed dossier is a tale of horror in which Mao emerges as one of the greatest mass murderers in history. Responsible for the deaths of at least 45 million people between 1958 and 1962. It is not merely the extent of the catastrophe estimated earlier but also the manner in which many people died. Between 2 and 3 million victims were tortured to death or summarily killed, often for the slightest violation. When a boy stole a handful of grain in a Hunan village, local boss forced his father to bury him alive. The father died of grief a few days later. I wonder why we did not hear too much about the Chinese Great Famine. 45 million people died. It is a lot of people. Well, we did not have social media. 
and communist China was isolated from the Western world. Therefore, we know very little about what happened to the country. We just briefly mentioned about China history and the country under leadership of Mao. Let's talk about China reform under Deng Xiaoping. Before we start, I have three trivia questions for you. When did China's foreign currency reserve become the largest in the world? How many billionaires China had in 2020? And what is the percentage of middle class population China has today? Stay tuned, we will answer these questions later. Joanna, let's go over how Deng Xiaoping was able to transform China, using his philosophy. Economic Reforms Under Deng Xiaoping In 1978, Deng Xiaoping became China's leader and reformed China's economy. Deng's guiding philosophy is that capitalist techniques can be applied to a socialist economy. Initially, China's reform focused on agriculture and special economic zones to attract foreign capital and technology in 14 major coastal cities. Foreign-funded enterprises in the zones received preferential tax treatment and exemption from import licenses and customs duties. In 1981, through the implementation of the National Household Responsibility System, China eliminated production quota and shifted to profit-oriented goals. In 1986, China implemented the Contract Responsibility System, where enterprises can retain excessive profits above the amount stated in the contract with the government. In 1988, Enterprises with eight or more employees were allowed to operate privately. State-owned enterprises became fully autonomous and were responsible for their own profits. In the early 1990s, export growth was in textile, garment, shoe, and toy industries. Deng Xiaoping died in February 1997 at the age of 92 of Parkinson's disease respiratory illness, and old age. Under Deng's leadership, China also experienced substantial economic growth. According to the World Bank, China successfully lifted over 400 million poor people out of poverty between 1981 and 2002. That is really impressive. China had made progress rapidly unlike any other countries in the world. Yes, I agree. Joanna, let's answer the trivia questions we asked the audience earlier. I am sure they are anxious to know. Do you know that China's foreign currency reserves became the world's biggest, top $1 trillion in 2006? In 2020, China has 878 billionaires, with a total combined net worth of $4 trillion and a population of 1.4 billion people with over 50% middle class. I'm sure that some listeners are curious about Hong Kong and Macau. How did they become British and Portuguese colonies? Let's talk about them. Hong Kong and Macau The Opium Wars arose from China's attempts to suppress the opium trade. Foreign traders, primarily British, 
had been illegally exporting opium mainly from India to China since the 18th century. The opium trade grew dramatically starting from 1820, causing widespread addiction and serious social and economic disruption in China. Consequently, China lost its territories from the treaties with the British and the Portuguese to end the Opium Wars. The Treaty of Nanjing that ended the First Opium War, forced China to cede the territory of Hong Kong to the British Kingdom in 1842. The Treaty of Peking was signed in 1887. To end the Second Opium War. The treaty forced China to give Portugal the right to occupy and govern Macau perpetually on the condition that Portugal would cooperate in efforts to end the smuggling of opium. The return of these two territories to China, more than two decades ago, was based on a political principle formulated by Deng Xiaoping called One Country, Two Systems. Under the principle, these regions maintain their own governments, financial and economic systems, and trade relations with foreign countries, independently from mainland China. However, each of the region's leader, the chief executive, is chosen by a 400-person committee approved by Beijing, comprising of politicians and business persons. Ordinary citizens do not have a direct say in the appointment of the chief executive. About Hong Kong In 1997 the British returned Hong Kong back to mainland China after 156 years of colonization. Hong Kong had continued to maintain governing and economic systems separately from those of mainland China. However, in 2020, China passed a new security law for Hong Kong, which makes it easier to punish protesters. The new law undercuts Hong Kong's autonomy and brings it under China's control. It is no longer one country. Two systems framework as Hong Kong has enjoyed for the past 23 years. The United States has been watching China's action closely. For the United States to treat Hong Kong as a separate entity, mostly for commercial purposes, Hong Kong must retain a high degree of autonomy from China. It would be interesting to follow the current situation of Hong Kong. Let's talk about Macau. Macau is a small peninsula, 12.7 square miles or 32.9 square kilometers, but has an important port on the south coast of China near Guangzhou. It was leased to Portugal in 1557, and officially became a Portuguese colony in 1887. After the 1974 revolution in Portugal, Portugal offered to withdraw from Macau. However, China postponed the transfer to a later time because it wanted to preserve international and local confidence in Hong Kong. In 1987, Portugal agreed to return Macau to China by 1999. Macau was the last European territory in Asia. Macau is known as the Las Vegas of the East for its huge casinos. Joanna, let's talk about the Made in China 2025 plan. In 2015, the Chinese government has launched Made in China 2025. The goal is to transform China into an advanced technology leader by the year 2049, the 100th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China. The program focuses on intellectual property acquisition. The target includes, 
electric cars, next-generation information technology, IT, and robotics and artificial intelligence. China committed to invest nearly $300 billion to boost its manufacturing capabilities in high-tech fields, such as pharmaceuticals, aerospace, and robotics. For your information, we will go into further details about Chinese acquisitions around the world, in our later podcasts. Meanwhile, let's talk about China trade agreement with the United States, and what impact it has on the U.S. economy. Let's review the history of China and the United States trade agreement. These are the major events. In 1972, President Nixon visited Beijing to facilitate diplomatic and trade relationships with China. In 1979, President Carter signed a bilateral trade agreement with China. In 1993, President Clinton tied renewal of China's most favored nation status and signed the trade bill into law, which paved the way for China to be a member of the World Trade Organization in 2001, and the Qualified Foreign Institutional Investor Program. What is the most favored nation status? also known as MFN. It is an economic position in which a country enjoys the best trade terms given by its trading partner. That means it receives the lowest tariffs, the fewest trade barriers, and the highest import quotas. In other words, all MFN trade partners must be treated equally. How about the Qualified Foreign Institutional Investor Program? It is a program that enables foreign investors participate in the China's stock exchanges, which have contributed to the country's economic growth. In 2001, President Bush signed a proclamation granting China permanent normal trading relations with the United States, as the finale to President Clinton's previous efforts. Many U.S. presidents had somewhat facilitated the U.S. trade with China. However, enabling China to become a member of the World Trade Organization, WDO, during the Clinton administration, has caused the most damage to the U.S. economy, and the American people. According to a 2016 Netflix documentary film, Death by China, produced by Peter Navarro, Clinton pushed China to be admitted to the World Trade Organization to enable China to ship unlimited products to the United States. Clinton promised the brightest future for Americans and hoped this would free the Chinese people from the communist country. Before joining the World Trade Organization, China promised to stop cheating and using unfair trade tactics. Unfortunately, China did not keep its promise. China was determined to target the United States and take away its manufacturing sector. In his speech, President Bill Clinton made the following statement. Today the House of Representatives has taken an historic step toward continued prosperity in America, reform in China, and peace in the world. It will open new doors of trade for America, and new hope for change in China. Regarding China joining the World Trade Organization, causing American factories to shut down. In my opinion, I believe multinational corporations are the ones moving jobs to China, due to cheap labor. Joanna, you are partially correct. However, China used other, unfair trade tactics, 
causing some industries in the United States and the world to shut down. The next topic may be controversial. However, our business is to convey actual facts to the public in a neutral manner as much as possible. Did China really influence Bill Clinton? In May 1998, the New York Times published the following. President Clinton said Chinese money did not influence the U.S. policy. However, Johnny Chung, the former fundraiser, had told federal investigators that a large part of the nearly $100,000 he gave to the Clinton campaign came from China's People's Liberation Army, a lieutenant colonel, and aerospace executive. Congressional committees were questioning whether the contribution influenced the state's changing policy to make it easier for China to launch American satellites and possibly obtain sensitive technology, and whether the administration's policy shift on exporting satellite technology helped China and other countries develop and use nuclear missiles. In September 2015, ABC News reported the following. The FBI has arrested Ng Lapseng, a politically prominent Chinese millionaire, who lied about $4.5 million in cash, brought into the United States to contribute to the Clintons' campaign. In addition to his role as a prominent real estate developer in Macau, Ng has close ties to the Chinese government. And is listed as a member of a senior advisory group, the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference. Wow. It took nearly 20 years for the FBI to arrest him? Clinton term was over in January 2001. I remember back then, everyone talked about President Bill Clinton's affair with the White House intern, Monica Lewinsky, but rarely mentioned about China contributing to his presidential election campaign. Well, this is a complex case, involving foreign affairs and high-ranking officials. The FBI needed to gather enough evidence to make an arrest. His arrest came on the same day the Chinese President Xi Jinping arrived in Seattle to officially visit the United States. According to the federal court document, Ng went to the U.S., often by private jet, carrying large amounts of cash. Ng lied about the purpose for bringing the cash, falsely claiming it was for the purchase of real estate, art, or for gambling. In an interview with ABC News in July, 1997, Ng said, My philosophy is that I should not break the law, but I wouldn't mind bending it. This concludes our podcast on China's background. Thank you for listening. In our next podcast, we will talk about how China has been able to damage the U.S. economy after joining the World Trade Organization and the tactics the Chinese government has used to gain competitive edge over Western countries. If you like our podcast, please subscribe, share, and give us a five-star review. For further details of our publications, please visit our website at abonbon.com. You can also buy us coffee by clicking on the support the show link at the end of the podcast descriptions. Thank you.